When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Kill Global Coaching and Consulting. Go to KILNGlobalCoaching.com when you're ready to bake success into work and life. Now for the next episode of Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, Chief Executive Officer of the Honey Baked Ham Company, Jim Dinkins. Hey, what you drink? This is going to be an epic conversation. I'm going to tell you right now that if you have anything that might distract you, you might want to put that aside. As a matter of fact, you might want to pull over because I know a lot of you listen to this while you're driving. Momentarily, you're going to know why, because I have had an incredible career and I've, I've had an opportunity to see a lot of leaders up close and personal. And many of them are just folks that you just marvel at and you wonder how in the world, how in the world did they do that? Very seldom do you get an opportunity to actually have conversations with those leaders. Well, that's exactly who I get to talk to today. Mr. Jim Dinkins, welcome to Whiskey, Jazz and Leadership. Welcome to the room. Thank you, Galen. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, now we we go back a long way. And like I said, you're, you're one of those guys that, uh, you know, you, you see them on a stage talking to hundreds, if not thousands of people, and, and they sound very diplomatic, very good, very well put together on stage. And, and when you get a chance to talk to them one-on-one, you wonder if, if you're going to have that same experience. And I'll tell you, you're kind of the same way, right? You're kind of, you, you, you get what you get. Well, that's nice of you to say. I appreciate that. It's, uh, you just try to be yourself. So that's uh, been a lot of fun through the years to get to work with great people like you. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah. So, Mr. Dinkins, uh, I've got a lot of questions I want to ask you. We haven't caught up in a long time. It's been a while since we've talked with each other. So I've got a lot of questions to catch up with you on, and I certainly want to get deep into this leadership conversation. Uh, but one of the first questions I have, and, and this is really kind of the questions where my guests signal to the audience that now's the time to start listening. My first question is, so what you drinking? Well, today, Galen, I'm having a delicious ice cold Topo Chico mineral water. It's a brand that 
Coke acquired many, uh, probably four or five years ago. It's been around for about, gosh, it's been around longer than Coke, 125 years. And it's, uh, it's from Mexico and it's really refreshing. So I thought I would have my palate cleansed while I'm talking with you tonight. <laughs> well, fantastic. You know, it's, it's always good when we can bring in products that we don't necessarily enjoy every day here in the United States. Uh, it just really demonstrates the global nature of the brand that both of you work, both you and I worked for for so many years. But, you know, hey, I, I knew you were coming. And so I, I just thought that it was absolutely appropriate that I would crack open something that I have not done on this show yet. But we're going to go with a Coca-Cola classic because, I mean, that's kind of our connecting points. I mean, kind of hard to argue with. I mean, 33 years for you. 22 years from me. That's a whole lot of years. So let's let's go ahead and crack this bad boy open. Oh, wow. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, I re- boy, I tell you, that, that sound never gets old. It never gets Very old. Very distinct. It's always good to hear. <laughs> and, and, since, and since, you know, I got to be true to whiskey, jazz, and leadership, I'm going to go with one of my favorites, uh, because this is a classic, right? There, this is a classic. You, you know, we used to always say there are some things that just go together, like burger, fries, and Coke. Well, Jack and Coke just kind of go together. There's a ring to that, right? So I'm going to go with just the whole classic Jack Daniels number seven, and I'm going to crack this open just to get back into the spirit of things, add that to my Coke, now you're ready to go. I'm I'm ready to go. And this oh, this aroma brings back memories too. So hey, wh- while I enjoy this, uh, I would love for you to share just a little bit about your background because although although we both spent many years at Coca-Cola, we've we've both have moved on to do other things, greater things, and life just seems to be getting better. I mean, as good as those years were, it was almost difficult to consider that life could get better, but life seems to be getting better for both of us. So share a little bit about your background, share a little bit about what you're doing now so that we can get into this conversation as I get into this Jack and Coke. Well, thank you, Galen. Well, yeah, I actually grew up in Metro Atlanta and went to the University of Georgia. And out of the University of Georgia, I went to work for Procter & Gamble uh, in their beverage division, which with the time was coffee and orange juice. And so I was there for four years. I was in sales and sales management and a couple of other things. Then I got recruited to come to Coke. So I was actually at Coke for 11 years and had a lot of fun things that I did from fountain sales to presence marketing, to college marketing, to franchise leadership, all kinds of different things. And during that time, I actually got my MBA at Emory, uh, the executive program. And I met a guy and uh, actually, we decided to do some smaller company entrepreneurial, more entrepreneurial things together. So we did a few things for three years. One was in kind of the financial services space and one was in the facility management space. And and then after that, I actually came back to Coke for 19 years. So I had almost 30 years. I had that three-year gap that made it look like 33, but almost 30 years and and got to do a lot of great things at Coke and from operations to marketing to managing a global customer and probably my last three jobs where I headed up our national retail sales in uh, the U.S. Uh, I ran our Minute Mouse president of the Minute Maid company for a while and then I was 
president of Coca-Cola North America for uh, almost three years. And then I retired and uh, wanted a new chapter at some point and had a really, really wonderful opportunity come around from a company called Honey Baked Ham, a company that I had known about from a consumer perspective for years. I was on my holiday table for years. And so they called me and I learned about it. It's a 64-year-old company. It's a family-owned business. And I thought it would be just wonderful to be a part of. And so I've been the CEO of that company uh, almost six months. So I'm really enjoying that. Wow. I mean, that that is just amazing. And no surprise to me that you didn't get much of a break between <laughs> your last opportunity and this one. Usually when people of your level of your caliber are available in the marketplace, it doesn't take long for folks to find out. So it doesn't surprise me at all. That's very nice of you to say. It was uh, it was very flattering to have the, them reach out to me and and uh, be interested in me. And it was just a really great fit. So I'm excited to be there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into this conversation because, you know, one of the things that as I'm getting deeper into my career and deeper into age and, and my little girl, my only little girl is actually in college now. So it's like, it's, cr it's oh, wow. crazy to consider, you know, but one of the things I, you know, I, I'm really, really convinced of is something that Steve Jobs said. And that is that, Everything seems to connect looking backwards. So while you're in the middle of things or at the beginning of your career, it's kind of hard to map out how this is going to go. But once you get to the later stages, you see how this opportunity led to that opportunity, led to this development, led, led to that learning. And now you're prepared to do exactly what you're doing now. As you look back, how can you see how those jobs that you had, those, that, those career stop points that you had prepared you for what you're doing now? Yeah, great question. Well, you know, the job of a CEO is really multifaceted, but there's some specific things you're responsible for. The first thing is the strategic direction of the company, the actual delivery of that strategy on an annual basis, working with a board of directors, allocating resources, and then uh, developing your team. And, you know, as I look back on, on my career, uh, there were several things that really jumped out that really helped me. One was in the strategy space, being responsible for pieces of business, be it a customer or be it a marketing job or be it an operations job and really trying to figure out where the big opportunities and where your strengths and, your, and what you want to leverage and, and how do you really decide what choices you want to make and, and you want to focus, which obviously strategy. So that really helped. Develop me. And then as I went along and had more responsibility, especially in my last job as running Coke North America, it really, you know, kind of became a scaled situation of how do you decide what was important. So that that really helped me. Uh, another thing that really helped me in terms of the board space was uh, when I worked uh, in the bottling, the bottling organization, which Galen, as you know, is a big part of Coca-Cola North America. Uh, about half of our business was bottlers and a lot of them were family owned businesses. And so it really gave me some insight in how that works, what the dynamics are of that. And that really prepared me to actually go work for a family-owned business. And then in a similar vein, having the chance to work on boards, either on behalf of the company or otherwise, to see how that worked and to see how boards worked as a board member and seeing how the CEO worked. So those were things that, that really helped me. And then, and it's really throughout my career, even having you know, one person report to me to being over, you know, 8,000 people, 
uh, developing your leadership team is just super, super crucially important. So I just had a, a lot of great opportunities to learn and, and be able to apply some of those things today. It's always interesting to me when I see people on the other end of their career, just starting out and, you know, they have opportunities come their way and it doesn't quite fit the plan that they've mapped out in school or in their head. And they're reluctant to take those jobs that seem like a deviation from that original plan. I can tell you from myself that, you know, my original goal when I was 21, 22 years old was to be a senior vice president of sales of a global Fortune 500 company. And the closer I got to that, the more important those side opportunities became. It's always intriguing to me when I hear people that, who are reluctant to go into operations, go into marketing, you know, take a step into another division because it's inconsistent with their mapped out plan. Yeah. And that seemed to have been the very thing that's prepared you for what you're doing now. Yeah. In fact, you know, one of the metaphors I, I use with people that they can identify with it is I talk about your career is almost like a, a set of golf clubs. And, you know, if you ever play golf, you know, each club has a different purpose. And so as you go through your career, how do you acquire that unique club that you can put in your bag? So when you get to a situation in a career, you can pull it out and you can be effective with it. You can use it. And you can't acquire all those things, you know, in a year. You have to acquire them over time. And you also have to look in your bag and go, what don't I have? And how do I go get that experience or, or that uh, situation that will help me set myself up for success? That's really what those were. So I, I talk about that sometimes. It helped me as I was thinking about things I wanted to do. Wow. You know, hey, you know, one of the things that I'd love to get your insight on because uh, I, I know, like I said, for me at the front end, it was really hard for me to understand what those situations might be where I might need a different club. And it was really not until I was able to corner some mentors who were able to say, you know, hey, Galen, yeah, this next step might be easy for you, but that's not what you should be taking. You should do this more challenging thing over here because it's going to show you the kind of club that you might need for your bag. What role have mentors played for you? I, I talk a lot about invisible mentors. You know, they could be people who you haven't met or you haven't talked to, or they could be people that you have had an opportunity to, to have them help you guide your career. But what role have, have mentors played in your, your career progression? Very important role. And the mentors that were the most impactful for me were the most honest with me. Early in my career, I had a, uh, a manager and he was very, very honest with me about things that I really need to improve upon and knew that he actually came into a job where he was from a different function. And he was my boss. And quite honestly, I was young in my career. I'm thinking, well, gosh, what can this guy teach me? Because he's never done this before. And he taught me a tremendous about, amount because he talked to me about it's not only what you do, but how you do it mm. and how you lead others and how you, the role you play as an, learn how to be an executive. And, and that was something that really, really stuck with me, the people that were most honest. The other thing is most recently, quite frankly, I've had a, a person that I worked with in the past come back into my life via just some circumstances and has been very, very helpful for me. A person I actually worked with at Coke years ago who went on to do great things in our past cross ironically about six months ago. And I've really been 
talking to them periodically about things because I know they've experienced it. They've been a CEO, they've been a chairman of a board, and I've not done either one of those yet, technically. So I've gotten a lot of advice from that person, but really honesty and, and not holding back on things they observe or things they see, because I think that's the way you can really help people. Wow. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big lesson because uh, you, you might think that you want your mentor to be someone who's going to tell you all the good stuff and, and say nice things to you and nice things about you. And, and what I'm hearing from you is that that's exactly the opposite of what you, <laughs> what you want. Uh, you could find anyone to tell you good things, but who's going to tell you the truth? Yeah. And I think the higher you go up in an organization, what I found is you have to identify those truth tellers because the more the higher you go up, the tendency is for people to not really be as forthcoming as you would think just naturally because they want to have the best foot forward. They want to be optimistic and all that's really great. But you need to, I found that I've tried to appoint someone in every role like, okay, please tell me what's going on. Please tell me what you see. Please be honest with me. Please coach me because the higher you go up in an organization, your own personal development sometimes is, is harder to come by. Yeah, yeah, I, I talk about the, uh, that very lesson quite a lot with some of my clients. Uh, you know, one of my mentors I think about a lot is someone that you and I both know, you know, Stan Hutchin, longtime vice president at Coca-Cola. And when I first met him, I think I was a uh, snotty-nosed 22-year-old entry-level salesperson. And Stan said to me once, because I was peppering him with questions about how do I become vice president, right? How do I do this? And he said, you know, Galen, the, the only difference between my job today and my job when I joined this company 30 something years ago is that today I have fewer people with which to discuss my problems. And that has just really stuck with me. So let's stay on this for a little bit because I'm curious, you know, you said that you've, you've really tried to empower people in your organization to tell you the truth. And that seems even more important than I imagined that it would be. Uh, what are some, some systems that you may have put in place for people to do just that, not only to tell you the truth, but to ask you the tough questions that you, know, you might not be considering for yourself? Do you have anything that's in place? How, how have you made it okay for people to come to the CEO of the company and say, Jim, don't know that we want to go this particular route or do this particular thing? Yeah, you have to be very intentional in the culture that you want to create. My experience has been is that when you're in a, any kind of leadership role, which is a privilege, you have to be consistently thinking about the influence and impact you have on others and how people really watch what you do all the time. They listen to what you do. They take your example all the time. And so one of the things that I try to do is to create environments where people feel comfortable. You know, there's a there's a, no, a, a notion that I read about probably 15 years ago that a lot of people talk about now called psychological safety. And it was actually in the context of a conversation, I believe it was an article that was called Why Can't Smart People Learn? And it was about they don't feel comfortable raising their hand or saying, hey, I don't understand that. What did you mean by that? And I think you have to create an environment where people feel like they can be honest and upfront with you. So how do you do that? Well, you don't answer first. You let other people answer first. You don't make people feel 
silly if they ask a question that others might feel silly. You ask them for their opinion, you listen, and you just try to create that environment. And so I think it's culturally when the organization looks to the leader and how they behave, it creates the opportunity for people to be willing to do that. Now, tactically for me, I literally talk to somebody on my leadership team and say, hey, I want you to do this. And in my one-on-ones with people, I try to ask them, hey, what can I do better? What have you observed? How's the organization doing? How do they take that? How did that sound? And so I think you have to always be on a path toward learning and feedback for you to create that kind of environment. Wow. That is so, so important. And I love the way you phrased it around creating the environment, because that's not something that just happens. I mean, you would think, I would think, you know, hey, look, I'm a nice person. Uh, I want good things. People seem to like me. I can just show up and be CEO and I'm going to have that same environment. But what I'm hearing from you is you have to actively go out of your way to create and endorse that kind of an environment because like it or not, as nice as you are, with the title comes weight. Yes. You know, it it could also be an indictment of leaders who came before us, right? Because, you know, not necessarily a specific company, but just in general because of and everyone's not like this, but leading in a way that made people maybe feel like they weren't as important or something like that. So you have to just really be authentic and true to yourself. And also what I tell people is, you know, my job is not more important than yours is just different. And your job is just as important to mine. It's just different. And I think that's uh, a way that you can create a level playing field where people feel comfortable, even though it's naturally to feel uncomfortable in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hey, one of the things that I remember very similar to your career. Uh, I was with Coke for nine and a half years. I left to get uh, or complete my executive MBA. Uh, and then I, afterwards, I did a couple of other things. I had an opportunity to come back to the company. And when I came back, there was a video that was circulating throughout the company by Samotra Golshal. And it was entitled The Smell of the Place. Right. By the time I had come back, it had already become legendary. So it was old news to the folks at Coke. But that video just really struck me because it talked about this culture thing that you're, that you're talking about now. And what's called the smell of the place. How people can get a sense for what the truth is, irregardless of what the leaders might be saying, right? Because we could be saying one thing, but the smell of the place would suggest something totally different. And you have done a great job of encouraging that culture, encouraging that smell, whether it's in people telling you the truth or whether it's in people being innovative. Can you draw a line between how the culture that you've created as a leader has led to innovation or has encouraged innovation in the minds of people in the organization? Yeah, I mean, I think the notion that we talked about having people, there's a notion that, that we talked about in my last job at Coke called boundaryless thinking. And we discussed the phenomenon of if you ask a six-year-old if they can sing, they say, of course I can sing. If you ask a six-year-old if they can dance, they go, oh, I'm a great dancer. But if you ask a 26-year-old, they go, oh, I can't sing and I can't dance. And part of that is something happens to us between six and 26 or 36, or 16, or something, where people become to see all the things they can't do instead of the things they can do. 
And so I, I think in some cases you have to give permission that people can be innovative. You also have to create a culture where learning is part of maybe failure, if you want to call it that, or not being successful, that what did you learn from something? You can't create a punishment culture with that. You have to learn from it. And so you can got, you've got cultural things you can do, and then you can do fun things to bring out innovation. One of the things that actually one of my colleagues came up with at Coat North America was this thing called the Grand Challenge. And it was kind of like a shark tank where we opened it up to the organization and they could come in and present things. And we had some really cool ideas that came out that really made a difference in our business and some for the society, like this one group came up with this way that actually was called a, a thing to actually capture litter out of, uh, out of uh, rivers. And it was something we funded and was, and actually some other people funded it. So I think you have to create, try to create the culture and nobody's perfect. So I, and, and you have to have the right organization too. One person can definitely influence it, but it takes the right organization. And then you have to create tools for the organization to do like uh, the Shark Tank ideas and, and, and just make sure that people do that. In fact, one of the things that I, I think James Quincy did really well at Coke and his, and his initial role as CEO is he actually talked about on one of his first earnings calls about a, something that didn't work an innovation that didn't work. Wow. And I'd never heard a CEO talk about that on an earnings call, right? Me and, I, and I thought that was very impactful because he was allowing the organization to say, hey, look, you know, that's okay. It didn't matter that it really didn't work. What did we learn from it and where do we go from there? So just, those are just a, a few things that I think are helpful. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.